What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to the Yanks Go Yard Podcast. I'm Adam Weiner, alongside Thomas Carinante. This is the only Yankees podcast. Get your Bronx bombed on a Monday All-Star break afternoon. Quiet weekend, quiet week in Yankee land. Pretty much nothing going on. If you were struggling to compare this team to any other Yankee team, the 2021 team blew a five-run lead in the ninth inning of the last game before the break. This one blew a three-run lead in the seventh inning of the last game before the break, thanks to a Glaber Torres error on an inning-ending double play ball. I don't know. That's kind of interesting. So why don't we do a State of the Union? Oh, wait. Last night they fired hitting coach Dylan Lawson, and today they hired non-hitting coach Sean Casey to be their new hitting coach. You may remember him from sweating through a white button-down shirt on MLB Network. He is now our hitting coach for the remainder of the 2023 season and not beyond that unless he proves himself. Pretty interesting. We are going to do a typical state of the Yankees. We'll still do that, but we do have to talk about Lawson gone, Casey in, something obviously that's been brewing behind the scenes for quite a while. You don't just make a firing like this on a Sunday evening out of spite, especially if Brian Cashman hasn't done anything like this over the course of his entire tenure of GMing the Yankees. And you don't just hire an MLB network analyst after thinking about it for like 18 hours. You obviously have been having these conversations for weeks, if not months. We'll talk about it all. Make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us those five-star reviews, mailbag questions. We really appreciate them all. And Thomas Carinante, welcome on into the show. You've got an offer before we really get things going for the viewers. Oh, yeah. Hey, Yankees fans. And I know there are a lot of haters here today. So welcome on in. Uh, We have an offer from Caesar Sportsbook. Um, You're not going to want to miss this one. New customers get their first bet on Caesars up to $1,250. So if you're betting large, this is the place to go if you want your first bet insured. All you have to do is use our code YGYFULL at sign up. And if you use that code, you will not only have your first bet insured, but you will directly be supporting the podcast. You love supporting us, don't you? Even if you don't like listening to us, you like us out there. You know that we're suffering on some level with this team constantly. So if you haven't signed up yet for the Caesars Sportsbook, please head on over there. Either download the app or Caesars.com. Join with our code uh, YGYFULL and drop that first bet. This offer is only available for new customers who are 21 and older and physically present in legal gambling states. Please always remember to gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer. So I think we should just get started with the positives here. Sure. And then we can move on. Um, Garrett Cole starting the All-Star game. Yeah, what is that? Yesterday they said he wasn't going to pitch. And I was like, all right, so no Yankees in the All-Star game. Like Judge is home with the toe thing. Cole's not even pitching. Clay Holmes, the closer of the bullpen with the best bullpen ERA in baseball, not apparently good enough to make the All-Star game. Whatever, I guess I'll enjoy the unis and just be happy none of the Yankees are going to be in there participating and potentially embarrassing themselves. And now Heyman comes out, Cole starting the All-Star game out of nowhere. Pretty cool. Um, moving on. Uh, <laughs> That's all we got? You don't, have anything, you don't have anything further on that? You don't have a well manicured? No, it's cool. I mean, it, it makes sense. It's, a, it, it's essentially a bullpen for him. Um, if we were to 
calculate how the week goes. And then he's slated to start against the Rockies out of the break uh, this coming weekend. So, um, yeah, get him in there for hopefully 15, 20 pitches. And it's like he's just living his normal life, just having more fun. Yeah. I mean, Shane McClanahan was probably going to get back to backs, but he is injured. Uh, so it was down to Cole or Nathan Evaldi. The Rangers are in first place, but they're also spiraling. And they probably said, eh, maybe let's not do that. Um, also, Garrett Cole's been a little bit better. So, yeah, it's pretty fun. Definitely better. Um, yeah, now what? Someone got fired. Did anything did this coming? Else? What? Did we see? Did we not see this coming? Did we not talk about this two weeks ago when we were – it was probably longer than two weeks ago at this point when – Dylan Lawson was in front of the media during that doubleheader at Fenway. That's the first time that I really thought that this could go down. And I also yeah. saw is Brandon Cuddy tweeted something about might've been Brian Hoke. I don't want to misappropriate my similar looking, similar age Yankees beat writers, but somebody mm-hmm. tweeted like Lawson gave us unique insight during that, you know, impromptu press conference pinned against the wall of Fenway. Maybe he did, but we didn't see any of it. If he did. Well, well maybe the we insight was, Maybe the insight was you're getting fired in three weeks. <laughs> At the end of it, he said to the beat writers, by the way, I'm I'm getting fucking fired. <laughs> and they were like, oh, okay, great. I mean – I don't at that moment in time, we were so underwhelmed by what he said when pressed on these specific issues that we were like, was this even the guy responsible for the turnaround in the minor league system? Like we've been praising him for leading this revolution at the lower levels of, of unlocking offensive talent of all these top prospects. And he was so unconvincing with just his platitudes that we got to turn the corner. We got to get grinding. We got to uncover turnover, some stones. That's it. It was like, we got, oh, we got some more stones to turn over. And when we turn over all those stones. Maybe we'll turn over some tree stumps, perhaps even some berms of grass. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, there's no way that this is the best you have to offer. And uh, that was definitely the first moment when I really thought he could get fired. And I I wrote something the other day, probably two weeks ago now, about like who's on the hot seat, who's safe and who should get got. And I said, uh, you know, fire Cashman, Boone has deserves a little more runway because we don't really know if Boone's a good or bad manager. We just kind of know that yeah. he, he, we know he can take an, uh, you know, he, he took the 2019 Yankees with their weird ass roster to 103 wins. So I'm always going to put that in Boone's corner, but I said Lawson on the hot seat. Like what does he provide? If he's not, I don't think his firing is going to instantly make LeMahieu and Stanton and Donaldson, of course, and Rizzo better, but Clearly, there's something wrong and rotten in that clubhouse, and the messaging isn't getting through, and whatever he's been selling to them, they're not buying. And that's, I think, the most important thing is a guy just, I said it in the intro, like a guy doesn't just get fired after a bad series against the Cubs. He doesn't get fired on a Sunday night when Brian Cashman has not dismissed an in season coach of any kind during his entire tenure as GM. It's not an overnight decision. There has been behind the scenes arguing for weeks. I'm sure there has been discussion about how he's not getting the message out or how the message isn't working because the message isn't working. And this was a long time coming. And yeah, if you go back to Fenway, I'm sure he knew it then. Yeah. It's a perfect storm of everything bad, right? Like the Yankees have gone, in my opinion, in-house for far too long. Um, They've kind of been peddling their own way is the only way. And I think that that has gotten them in a bad position right after cat. First of all, we had, we should talk about Boone in a second because we had the warning sign from Joel Sherman the day before mm-hmm. about Dylan Lawson potentially getting fired. Then he gets fired. And then Brian Cashman immediately tells um, the media the next day after the firing that they're looking outside of the organization. So yeah, it's about time that more people from outside this organization come in um, instead of the Yankees just repeating 
uh, th- their same missteps for I, how long has it been now? Um, and yeah, with Lawson, like we wanted this to work. We were very excited about the turnaround in the minor league system and how a lot of offensive players had started to turn corners, which was a new trend for you know that that had developed rather quickly after the Yankees had failed to develop a lot of offensive players, and it seemed like a lot would be getting to the point where they would be contributing major leaguers or at least be um, built up enough to be trade bait for a, a bigger deal that would help the MLB roster. But then all hope was lost. I mean, for me, all hope was lost when Dylan Lawson first gave his interview with the media when he was introduced. The hit strikes hard thing was the funniest thing I had ever. All all hope to. was lost on day one day, for, you. for me. For me, it was, and I know I'm I'm glass half empty. Uh, that's that's my mentality, uh, especially when it comes to this team. But like, you look how many months was it ago? Six months ago. We're six months in the future, and he's fired. Uh, it's clear that whatever you have to realize when I think at least an indicator for success in messaging in leading is how you're perceived by the media or simply put, you could be perceived poorly by the media, but your answers could at least be good. They could be candid and they can be insightful and they could provide people with something to work with. Dylan Lawson was another one of these Yankees hires, much like Aaron Boone, who just doesn't give you anything. There is no insight. There's always lying. There's always the the basic baseline, you know, phrases that are trying to indicate, hey, you know, things will get better. Don't you worry. It's like, great. How are you going to do that? Because now we're we've been in this for a while and people aren't stupid. If you keep saying the same stuff, if you keep Mm -hmm. having these guarded responses, if you're not providing any specifics, then people are going to catch on in the largest media market in the world for sports. Um, And here we are. He was talking about getting the ball over the infielders' heads as one of the strategies for hitting better. I don't know, like, on what planet did higher-ups in the Yankees organization interview this person, prep him for these types of PR things where you're doing your intro, you know, press conference or, you know, your first interview with the media, and he's this unprepared. And then you have the beginning of the season when the Yankees are ranking dead last in everything or close to dead last in everything after whatever it was, um, uh, June or whatever. And he says he doesn't give a shit about offensive. Oh, that was that's April, my I favorite. Think. That's that my was favorite April. ever. Yeah, doesn't was, give a shit early. about offensive numbers. Yeah. And you're just like, what? People um, were like, people were coming after me for saying that was ridiculous by being like, he shouldn't give a shit about offensive rankings. He should give a shit about offensive numbers. And it's like, yeah, if you want to, well, actually the worst quote I've ever heard, then go right ahead. But when you're the offensive coach, when you're the hitting coach and you're like, I don't care where my team ranks on offense, then you're a tremendous dumbass. Like you don't actually have to bend yourself into a pretzel to figure out why he's actually saying a smart thing there. You can just admit, even if you like Dylan Lawson and want him to succeed, that like, that's probably not a good idea. That's probably not going to endear yourself no. to anybody. And it wasn't. No, that's the quote. That's the quote that made the article. That was the athletic quote. In that was the quote in the athletic uh, headline. Yeah, so I will never forget that ever. No. Maybe that we hired somebody who said that about his job. If I went, if I went to my boss and said, "I don't care about making honestly, I I don't care about making high quality podcast content. I don't care because I know it's going to sort itself out. If my <laughs> podcasts in April are terrible, if my podcasts in May are in Spanish." My podcast in June are unintelligible. If I'm talking into a bathtub drain instead of a microphone, I don't care because I know I'm doing the work. Like, come on. And then I think another big indicator, look, 
it's tough because the rest of this team is not good, right? But you have two clear indicators here. The most of the team is not good for the most part, at least the offense. But you have two clear indicators here where Dylan Lawson does does not help and did not help and will not help. And it was Aaron Judge who has his own hitting coach, hitting guru, if you will. So I think that's a pretty big yeah sign where it's like, okay, the far and away best player on the team has a separate hitting person yeah. and everybody else is performing poorly. And then I think you wrote about a great – uh, tremendously this morning, the Volpe thing. Yeah. He did not help Anthony Volpe, at least to our knowledge, based on how this, sto- this story leaked for a reason. Yeah. I don't know. They, they let this story get out. I think if you're the Yankees and you catch wind of this, you're like, uh, and you care about, you know, the optics of the coaching staff, you say, don't, don't tell the media that. No, please don't, please do not, do not divulge the details of this entire thing. Don't tell them what the recipe of the sauce is for the chicken parm. Do not say a word. Um, and you have those, those two indicators after the first half of the season. And it's like, okay, where are we going? Cause now we look even worse than we did last year. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, the Yankees say one thing about the Yankees as an organization, I guess they're getting worse at this over the years. Cause they do keep letting Boone go out there and say stuff like I wanted to take Domingo Herman out on a high note before the break. Well, good work genius. Cause the bullpen blew his game. Now he enters the break on a low ass note. Um, the idea yeah, that the guy who just threw a perfect game a week and a half ago now is incapable of throwing more than 74 <laughs> pitches against the Chicago Cubs. Uh, yeah. Give me an absolute break. But uh, once Anthony Volpe said, yeah, I, I fixed my swing, you guys noticed a discernible difference in my stance. And that difference came from reviewing old tape with my old teammate Austin Wells while eating chicken parm with my mom. That's a pretty big indictment on the coaching staff, whether it works or not. Like now you do have, I, I am a Dylan Lawson defender. Like I can't actually believe that he didn't have the idea to sit down with Volpe and watch tape. I can't live in a world where the guy employs the hitting coach for the New York Yankees was like, Oh, watching tape. We should have done that. Like <laughs> I have to believe he did that, but he was unable to click. His message was unable to click and it, Austin Wells got through. And if I'm the Yankees and I have full faith in Dylan Lawson, I say, Anthony, why is your swing different now? And he goes, I fixed it with Austin Wells. I go, do not tell anybody that ever. Never say that out loud, ever. Uh, We're trying to protect our hitting coach. But if I don't care about Dylan Lawson's fate and I'm like, what happened? And he's like a sandwich. Then I'm like, great. That's pretty cute. You should tell that to everybody. Maybe we could sell shirts and uh, then we'll fire. Then we have more justification to fire the hitting coach conspiracy brain i kind of was like did he did a yankees person mislead andy volpe into telling that story so that they could eventually have justification for firing dylan lawson like did volpe just offhandedly tell someone in the front office like it's the strangest thing like i was watching tape all eating food with my friend austin wells and i noticed something we hadn't noticed before so i changed it and it worked isn't that amazing then the person all the gears going in their head like yes if i let him say this into a microphone maybe we get dylan out of here like, yes, that is a good story. You can let everybody know in the postgame. Go into the scrum. Tell them. Because otherwise, I can't imagine why that was allowed to be divulged. Yeah, and you have you have his his two instances with the Dylan Lawson's two instances with the media, and this just pretty much sums it up. Um, once again, you, you lose that you lose this series. I don't I don't think this was a fireable series because there's many other things that went wrong, but yeah, we're too far they down. lost Friday. Of course, Friday they lose. Jamison Tyone hasn't pitched eight innings since last May. He has one quality start on the year. Comes in and buzzsaws the Yankees for eight innings, one hit, 
Um, probably the worst game of the season. Not the most painful loss, but probably just the worst game. Yeah, worst to watch. I mean, in terms of just like wasting your time. Um, I turned it off in the sixth because I knew what was happening. Um, I was expecting Tyone to go a full full nine. But yeah, first time that that has happened. Eight in eight shutout innings in one hit or fewer since 2000 in Yankee Stadium. So not only – yeah. Uh, uh, Cubs first win at Yankee Stadium of all, ever. They they hadn't won there since coming there in 1932. So just a double whammy. Then you come back Saturday, you thump them a little bit. But again, like these those wins shouldn't be like okay, we're turning the corner. Those should just be regular wins for this team, based on the star power that they have and the the supposed talent that they have. You know that's that's not an impressive win. That is, uh, that's a nice coast win that you deserve as a team that is supposed to be playing well. Um, and then you have everybody fucking up yesterday from Aaron Boone to Glaber Torres. Um, I, I don't, I, it's crazy how they did, they, they managed to give themselves a little bit of momentum. You win that game, what were they set? They were seven back, now they're eight back in the division. Yeah, I mean, you get to 50 wins 50 by the wins. break, you feel good. You, Great you, benchmark. You get to 50 wins by the break, you're 50 and 41, you just won a series from the Cubs, late game comeback yesterday. I mean, you're breaking a tie in the bottom of the sixth. Nobody's, like, waving a flag around being like, the Yankees rule. But right. they're definitely like, all right, I mean, this cool. everything that could go wrong has gone wrong, basically, injury-wise, timeline-wise, offense, I mean – Rizzo, LeMay, I don't know if you can bet on all of these people being better in the second half or any of them being better in the second half, but they couldn't have been worse. That's what we yeah. said when we were talking about switching things up, calling Peraza up a couple weeks ago. It's like, you're not going to get less from anybody than you're getting from LeMay, and Donaldson right now. Rizzo is 0 for the last month and a half. He doesn't have a home run since May 20th. Like, they can't, they can get better. They can't get worse. Uh, so if you go into the break at 50 and 41, you feel pretty good about yourself and uh, what can you say, Aaron? Boone makes a boneheaded decision yesterday pulling her mom, but it's not even that boneheaded if Glaber Torres doesn't kick a double play ball in the middle of the infield. And, and I'm, I am I can't do this much longer. And mm-hmm. I'm also tired of, uh, can't we just be rational about this? Can't we come into the middle here? Uh, this team that is starved for offense should not trade Glaber Torres at the deadline unless they get better on offense elsewhere. Right? Yeah, sure. Right? If you're trading Glaber Torres at the deadline, you better have improved your offense elsewhere. That said, Glaber Torres is not untradeable at this year's deadline. No. You call up Peraza and get a controllable lefty bat to play left field and another bat who you trust, then uh, yes, get rid of him. Because uh, is he the biggest problem with this? People say, does somebody really have to be the biggest problem with an offense to be a problem? Obviously, he's less of a problem with the offense than Rizzo, LeMahieu, Donaldson, Stanton right now. But the defense is – he takes plays off. He does. Are you you really not allowed to say that? Like, apparently, according to the internet, you're not allowed to say that. It, it's a constant thing from him. It's a losing mentality. Whatever it is, the ball finds him when he's zoned out, and he yeah. beats it. He has the most errors of any second baseman in baseball this season. I whenever he's gone, whenever he's gone, I will just say thank you for the memories. Yeah. Take care. You didn't even have to look that up to I, I there were I in my mind there was nobody with more errors. Yeah, um, it's, or, it's nine, it's nine, and it's the most. Yeah. Um, and don't forget there are countless other misplays that don't that aren't registered as errors um that he has made this year. Running running around the bases on fly balls in a right field. He was mm-hmm. caught off the bag twice in a weekend. Those aren't errors, but they're errors. Yeah, it's crazy because like what was uh what day was it when he scored from first on the single? Was that when was that? 
That was recently. Yeah, that was uh, that was in the O series. Yeah, yeah life's just a – yeah, that was the second game of the O series. He scores from first base on a single to center field, and you're like, holy shit, guy's head's in the game. And then – was that? Yeah, just constantly does stuff to cancel out his positive production, and that is what you call a replacement-level player at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, if you're canceling out all the good that you do – then you are it's you're contributing nothing of substance. You're a body filling a lineup, doing whatever you're asked to do in an adequate manner. And that is not what's supposed to, that's not what Glaber Torres is supposed to be. Glaber Torres had has peaked long ago. He's been able to rediscover that peak. Um you wanna you wanna really look at the I mean he his hitting doesn't even impress me anymore. It's a lot of weak, it's a lot of weak singles and ground balls. And if you look at the numbers, Anthony Volpe is is 18 slugging points away from him. Anthony Volpe was in the garbage can a month ago. We, we couldn't believe how bad his numbers were. He has resurrected himself to the point where now he has a 395 slugging and Gleyber Torres is a 413 slugging. Something majorly wrong with that, especially if, again, you're touting Gleyber Torres as one of these teams, as one of this team's premier offensive players. I think he's suitable. I think he's good. I think he's a great you know, one B piece on any team that needs to try and win a championship, but he's been featured much too often as a result of injuries, as a result of poor play. And he constantly doesn't deliver in terms of making the totality of his performance worthwhile for this team. So yeah, I don't see a world again, if this team, if Aaron judge is not coming back this season or it's determined he needs surgery, there is absolutely no reason this team shouldn't sell at the deadline and they can get value for some of these guys. They can maybe get rid of some contracts. At this point, you want every Yankees fan, even evaluators talking about how deep this farm system is, then start attaching prospects to guys with bad contracts because not every po- prospect is going to pan out, as we've seen with the last, what, five Will nine any, cashman trades? Will any prospects pan out? Every prospect that he's traded, he's done a great job in trading nothing for nothing, but none of the prospects have panned out. I think we might be potentially regretting one Kevin Alcantara if that's even I haven't I haven't caught up with him um in over a month but like that was the one that looked bad he's been great he was good over the weekend but you want to wait for him till 2025 no no. it's just like they, they have to start doing something and I think firing Dylan Lawson indicates that something's on the way and like we talked about earlier today maybe Boone's next Labor Torres is 105 OPS plus. We can't do better. Like it's just a bunch of it's a bunch of kids who are in love with this Yankee team that's never won anything and doesn't yeah. know what it's like to win a World Series. Like people being like, we not only have to win the World Series, we have to do it with the guys currently on the team. No, you nope. don't. Some of them aren't good enough. Labor Torres is not a winning player and a barely above average hitter, and hitting is the only thing that he does. So um, well, let's talk about Aaron Boone and let's talk about Dylan Lawson's replacement too, because I don't think we expected to do no. this podcast knowing who was replacing Dylan Lawson. But not. out of nowhere, it's it's Sean Casey of of recent MLB Network fame, Aaron Boone's teammate with the Cincinnati Reds in the late '90s and early 2000s. Um, unorthodox hire to say the least, but we were looking at unorthodox hires anyway coming into this the the most encouraging thing brian cashman said yesterday was that they're going to go outside the organization and we said okay great wow me then um we we were thinking raul abanez uh who's with mlb and honestly that is still my preferred pick but it's kind of tough to pry somebody out of the mlb offices and put them immediately in the dugout in the middle of the season if you watched the draft last night you know raul abanez was there announcing names mlb clearly loves him 
But maybe that's the way that the Yankees go after this season because Sean Casey love the hire, hate the hire, kind of indifferent about the hire, only going to do it for the rest of the 2023 season unless it really works. Then and he loves it. Then I'm sure they'll bring him back. But that encouraged me too. Uh, it's a radical move. Obviously, he has no coaching experience, but a lot of experience communicating hitting on MLB Network over the years about the mentality of hitters, uh, communicating what it takes to be a successful hitter. He hit in the 300s uh, against Maddox, Glavin, Randy Johnson, some of the best hitters of his generation, did a great video on MLB Network that's been circulated a little bit today, talking about how he was able to mentally block out who those pitchers were. Uh, Chris Kirshner tweeted, Sean Casey was one of the best all-caps analysts in baseball. I always learned a ton from listening to him on MLB Network, breaking down the game from a hitter's perspective. Casey doesn't have coaching experience. It'll be interesting to see how it works out, but he has a brilliant mind. I'm interested. Maybe it works out, but again, only through the end of 2023, that's important. They needed to do something. Lawson was not going to get this offense where it needed to be. Last year, they had a 652 OPS as a team in the second half without Aaron Judge. That is pathetic. So it's not like we're losing some great architect of a Yankees offense that worked last year and is not working this year. It's always been Judge goes supernova with his own hitting guru, and the rest of the team barely keeps up the pace. A lot of that's on Cashman. A lot of that's on Cashman for yeah. the roster construction. But he can't fire himself, so he's going to fire the hitting coach. I'm not, I'm not foolish enough to think that Sean Casey is going to light an immediate spark. He brings the same personality as Nick Swisher without the hiring of Nick Swisher. That's good. I think if the Yankees had gone internal and promoted Nick Swisher to hitting coach, you would be hearing a lot of people saying this is uh, quite an interesting step uh, from, you know, ambassador to the coaching ranks. But they get somebody who brings a similar personality while having an, an outsider's view and this excellent perspective on hitting. Uh Consider me bullish as long as they are willing to say if it doesn't work at the end of the year, nothing gets better, that they're just able to be like, eh, didn't work. Back to MLB Network with you. Good luck, Sean. Loved having you, but not going to happen. Uh, Aaron Boone hasn't had a buddy in quite a while. Uh, he, we lost Josh Bard. We lost Phil Nevin. This gives Aaron Boone a buddy. Um, and so I'm curious your thoughts on the hiring. If you are angry that they went so far off the board with no coaching experience or you're kind of pumped they were able to get something so interesting midseason. Uh, but perhaps most importantly, we were just starting to think that Boone might be on the hot seat now that they are bringing in a friend, but are also only doing it through the end of 2023. Does that make you think he's on a hotter seat or a cooler seat? Oh, man, I think it's hotter. But first, I like the higher um, just because it's different. It's it's kind of anti-Yankees. Um it really is very much is anti Yankees. This is uh, every every process with this team feels like it's by some sort of weird book, um, weird rule book with all these strings attached. And it's like one time. Can you do something off the cuff? Like, can we, you know, one bold move? Maybe um, I guess if we have to start in the hitting coach department, better to start somewhere. Um, and uh, yeah, my bullish on this. No, I mean, I think if he's as good as a communicator as people say, if his mind is as brilliant and, you know, uh, um, helpful in that capacity where he's able to relay the information, uh, in a coherent fashion to the players then great. I don't necessarily think that someone without coaching experience is not qualified to be a coach, 
Are you a human being? Can you analyze information? Can you communicate it to other people? Can you establish relationships? Great. That's pretty much what coaching is. If any of you have coached a little league team before um, or have done anything in the most minor capacity possible, it's not that difficult. So cheers to the Yankees for getting this done fairly quickly and doing something a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I do think the higher, the fact that Boone knows Sean Casey, they played on the Reds together from 1998 to 2003. Um, the fact that uh, Boone had his buddies on this coaching staff previously, didn't work out, had to dismiss them. And then Phil Nevin goes and gets hired as the manager of the angels who were doing honestly great up until the last 10 days, Mike Trout's injury hurt them. The pitching staff kind of collapsed a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think at this point, it's like, all right, we get another one of your boys in here who's going to be in a position that is going to be very important for the success of this team, especially in the short term. And if it doesn't work, then maybe you're out. Remember, Boone's con Boone signed his contract extension after the 2021 season. It was a three-year deal with a one-year club option. I think the Yankees would be a lot more comfortable dismissing Boone after two full seasons of that deal, deal rather than three. And I think that if they're bringing in someone who is, quote, this close to Boone and they can't make something click over the last three and a half, four, whatever, three and a half, four months of the season, yeah. then that's going to maybe give them. I mean, I don't know why they needed the indication now because they might have had it for like the last few years, but maybe that gives them the indication that Boone is not the greatest communicator and is not the best delegator and can't get his staff in line because. He's had one giant coaching turnover already, and now we're witnessing the first midseason coaching firing under Brian Cashman. I think this is lining up to tell you what could possibly be, because remember, there's going to be a lot of changes this offseason with the roster, with guys coming off the books, with guys probably going to be traded, and it's honestly not the worst time to introduce a new manager. There's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot different. It's not going to really affect many uh, people on the current roster if there's a new voice at the top there, so... I think that if they're teeing this up for Aaron Boone and giving him the hire that he wants, or at least going down that path to be like, okay, who's a guy who can really mesh with Boone and make this work, then it's going to be more on him at the end if there are bad results. I mean, Brian Cashman went and said it yesterday. So for everybody that's hoping, uh, you know, this is the end for Boone, he'll be fired in the next several weeks, you know, that that's not going to happen. Last night before they made this hire, uh, Brian Cashman said, quote, I would never hire someone that our manager, Aaron Boone, isn't in lockstep and in line with. It's someone that he is going to be comfortable with because he's on the front line. He knows our players better than anybody else. That said, Boone is tied to this hire. Dylan Lawson was someone executing the Yankees system, the Yankees pipeline, what worked in the minors. Let's take it to the bigs. And uh, that's why we assume that the next hire would also be some sort of front office puppet. Sean Casey does not know the hit strikes hard mentality. Sean Casey did not uh, spend time in the Yankees minor league system, making analytically driven swing decisions and communicating those to hitters. Some of whom have apparently tuned him out. Sean Casey comes from MLB network from Aaron Boone's past. He's somebody who does what the Yankees offense does not do as a hitter. He used to spray the ball to all fields. He was an exceptional line drive hitter. He was a 300 hitter with 15 to 20 homer power. He is not the kind of guy who swings from the heels and grips it and rips it and hits strikes hard and makes outs on a first pitch and takes a 2-0 fastball down the middle because he's now trying to get deeper into the count, but he's letting hittable pitches go by. 
He's not any of that. John Boy did a great job uh, breaking it down, you know, the, the Yankees' pathetic approach of, for some reason, swinging early in the count and also <laughs> taking hittable pitches later in the count. But most importantly, starting pitchers this year have gotten through seven innings against the Yankees 21 times. 21 times? It's the half. It's the all-star break. Uh, and and not only is that number absurd, uh, but it, it also – uh, it th- that's the 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 most in baseball this year that that an opposing starter has gone seven plus innings pitch and allowed two earned runs or fewer. It's the most in MLB twenty one. Second most is the A's with sixteen. Second most is the A's with sixteen. They're also uh, this is a stat that they've gotten worse in since twenty twenty one. The worst season twenty twenty one was awful. In twenty twenty one, this only happened to them eleven times in a full season that starters went seven innings. Last year, 17 of them. Seven innings, two or fewer runs. 11 in 2021, 17 last year, 21 already at the halfway point this year. Something has to change. Sean Casey might not affect that change, but Dylan Lawson shouldn't have been allowed to stick around and see it through. Yeah, absolutely. And if there's any change that you're going to make without rocking the boat too much, it's definitely an assistant coach, um, especially one that was brand new, to the major league level. So it doesn't, this doesn't even seem like it's a momentous decision, which is probably why the Yankees weren't scared to go through with it. Um, I think also at this point with how bad things have been, most fans are sitting there and they were just like, okay, when is this guy getting fired? Because it's, it's already long overdue and it's been four months. Um, So yeah, at least they did something. I think that's encouraging, but there's still there's still so many problems. You know, you started we, we talk about Glaber Torres's mental awareness. We talk about Aaron Boone pulling a starting pitcher at 74 pitches for whatever reason when he hasn't he also has an opportune chance to rest the entire bullpen heading into the break, which was which felt like a priority, didn't it? Felt like a really big priority to rest as many bullpen arms as possible um, heading into the break, and you have an, you have at least a very good opportunity to do that if Herman pitches a mediocre seventh. He gets to say he gets to 90 pitches with 16. Okay, great. We're going to the bullpen instead. Aaron Boone pulls him in the sixth and somehow ends up using six pitchers. You get cute. Six. You, you get cute and you fuck up. That's how it goes. Like, whenever you're trying to – you ever notice how many games that teams lose when they're, like, trying to get somebody a milestone win? And then yeah. they're like, oh, no. Like, I left him in for too long because I was being nice to him. Like, that's the Aaron Boone way. And so, Domingo, he could say whatever he wants. He clearly wanted to, I think, pull Domingo before he had to face the guy he'd given up a home run to already. Like – try to prevent him from giving up a two-run shot to make it 4-3. But you know what's worse than that? Giving up the entire lead in an inning and then Ron Marinaccio blowing it the next half inning. Um, Let's talk more about the series it was and and what we just saw. But if you want to bet on the second-half Yankees, if you feel like under Sean Casey they're going to become an offensive juggernaut, we have an offer from Caesar Sportsbook for you that you will not want to miss. If you are a new customer, you get your first bet on Caesars up to $1,250. $1, All you have to do is use our code YGYFULL at sign up. That is YGYFULL. It's right there on the screen if you're watching along with us. We thank you if you are. 
If you sign up with that code, you will not only have your first bet insured, but you will also be directly supporting the podcast. So if you haven't signed up for Caesar Sportsbook, join with our code YGYFULL and drop that first bet. This offer is only available for new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly. Check the episode description for the full terms of the offer. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. Yeah, I guess let's get angry about the sport we just watched. Because because why not? Um, you just it it is telling, and I'm going to applaud Yankee fans for this. You're going into the break at 49 and 42. You're a little bit out of a playoff spot. And you're basically acting like the sky is falling because this team is terrible. And they have been largely terrible, uh, it's especially in comparison to what our expectations are. Nobody's happy, right? But they are 49 and 42. Meanwhile, the Red Sox at 48 and 43, fresh off a sweep of the Oakland Athletics, are acting like they are the team to beat in the second half of this season. Like, mm, doesn't feel like a last place team to me. Well, record-wise, they have the worst record in the ALE, so it does feel like a last place team to me, actually. Um, they swept the Jays. They took two out of three from the Spiraling Rangers, and they swept the Oakland Athletics. And J.P. Long, Mr. Sox Notes, who is only positive notes for the Sox, has nothing negative to say about the Sox, said, the 8-1, and one, that's the best record in baseball since June 30th. Congrats. I'm really happy for you. Uh, best record in baseball since June 30th. The Red Sox are definitely a wild card contender to watch out for, but so are the Yankees. And uh, with a one game better record, Yankee fans are like, we're shit. Life is terrible. Uh, I don't want to watch this team anymore. So I commend all of you for actually having the right perspective instead of telling the rest of the world that you should be the center of the baseball universe after the first half that you just put up. Um, the Yankees have a negative run differential against the rest of baseball that isn't the Oakland A's. That's true. Uh, it was plus 34 against the A's and minus 11 against the rest of baseball after Friday's game. And obviously they come out on top plus three on Saturday and minus three yesterday. So they're right back down there to plus 34 and minus 11. Not good enough. The season ended today. They would not be in the playoffs. Thanks in large part in totality to Glaber Torres's error to Aaron Boone's managerial error at the end of that game yesterday. And uh, the putrid offense on Friday night, letting Jamison Tyone dog walk them. This series also perfectly encapsulated why Giancarlo Stanton confuses the hell out of me. Uh, on Friday, he's basically never looked worse. We're talking about how, like, 
I'm tweeting through it. I'm tweeting in despair. I'm on threads. My threads personality is becoming a disaster because I'm just complaining about the Yankees the same way I do on Twitter. And I'm like, look, I would never say that I wouldn't do the Giancarlo Stanton trade. You're getting an NL MVP for free. They're paying part of his salary. But I also was in favor of making the trade because I knew that they were the Yankees and they wouldn't let it financially hamstring them. But then they did let it financially hamstring them. So they blew a whole window. And if Stan's going to look as bad as he did on Friday night, the window is closed without a hard reset. You just cannot be paying that man that amount of money to do that. When he was uh, not available in 2019, that hurt a lot too. But 2018, very good. 2020, whatever. 2021, quite good. They didn't supplement him. And then they let the window close because he lost all his talent. Then on Saturday, he homers twice. It's a home run that only he can hit. Sure. It goes 7,000 feet off the Audi concourse. The second one is a double off the top of the wall that somehow got out and hit the pole, but still an extra base hit. Has an incredible game. Leads them to victory almost single-handedly. Sunday, right back in the dumps. So I don't know what Stanton is. He might be – I guess my question is, is he the one of this dead foursome that you're most encouraged by? Uh, because he showed you that he is alive and vintage stand with that home run on Saturday. Or are you more confident in pure hitters like Rizzo and LeMahieu getting it back? Donaldson not even eligible. And by the way, his calf hurt yesterday, and Aaron Boone said he's been banged up for a while. Why the fuck is he in the lineup then? Before the All-Star break. Before the All-Star break. <laughs> it's, it's fucking, what are we talking about? Good God. Um yeah, I mean, am I encouraged by saying the most out of those guys? Um, I wouldn't – I'd probably say I'd be the most confident with Rizzo um, just because Rizzo's never endured a slump like this before in his career. Yeah. So we know that it's kind of either an outlier or it has to do with his head, neck, shoulder, upper back, whatever happened. And it's killing him. He is yeah. pissed. Oh, yeah. For Stanton um, – there is no doubt in my mind the power is still there. There is no doubt in my mind that the home run prowess is there. Um, but every other deficiency that he has continues to get worse. Walks less, strikes out more, sees fewer pitches. Um, we, his stand, look at the videos of him every year since he's joined the Yankees. There is something new with his stance every single year. And that it doesn't tell me that that doesn't tell me anything good. You know, he's not, it's not like it's Tiger Woods. Who's like, Hey, you know what? I'm really fucking good at golf. So I'm just going to change my swing and just try to kick everybody's ass with a completely new revamp mechanics. No, this is Giancarlo Stanton, who is very much a hot and cold player who can't really afford to go through the motions and figure out things with his mechanics, but constantly has some alteration with his swing at least every at least every year and a half, it would feel if you would look at the timeline of things. Um, and ever since the progression since 2018, think about everything that has had to do with him. The injury problems have become even more frustrating um, because you know you have uh, 2019 where he was out the entire year. That was the first dosage of it, and you're like, man, this sucks. Yeah, um, it just then. Sucks. He, yeah, it just sucked. And then he comes back for the playoffs for one game, clear impact, and then can't come back again. Then 2020, you're like, okay, man, are you really kidding me? Like, we can't play a 60-game shortened season. And then he comes back for the playoffs, and he kicks ass, and you're like, okay, that was cool. That's fun. Too bad we didn't win, but it'd be nice if this shows up for the postseason, especially against our rivals. Then you have 2021, which was like, are we getting back on track here? 
Is Stanton going to be able to stay, you know, 135, 145 games a year? We'll take that. Then 2022 happens. The first half, you couldn't be more excited. We were so thrilled to see him in the All-Star game and win the All-Star game MVP. Injured right then again. Yep. And then that derails most of, you know, a good portion of that season when the Yankees spiraled, um, especially in the second half. And then you have 2023. Starts the year off injured, doesn't get back until, what, May 20-something? He misses less time than you'd think, but then he yeah. comes back and can't do anything. So it's like, <laughs> he didn't miss right. less time than we thought. He made the exact timetable for the first time in arguably his history of being injured. So yeah. we viewed that. that that's, how, that's, how, that's how brainwashed we are. We now view, like, the actual return on a, on a, on a generous timetable that's given from a fairly – okay you know a fairly normal injury to be like okay great he's back in six weeks this is amazing and then he comes back from the il and you're sitting here reasoning with yourself you're like you know what it takes stanton a little bit of time to get back from the il it's been a tough year you know it's been a tough full year for him now that we're reaching july at this point like let's give him some rope and you can't because it just continues to get worse and worse and worse and you're not going to convince me a two homer day is going to make me think anything differently at this point. I need, I need a three week streak of just some semblance of life. Still bat, still batting under, uh, under 200, I believe, um, up just over at 203, um, slugging absolutely not where it needs to be at 426 on base percentage always weak for Stanton because he does not work walks. Um, so yeah, I mean. It's a once a month episode of the podcast where we're talking about, yeah, like John Carlos Stanton's not the problem, but the Yankees again made this a problem, made an exciting trade, knew what they were getting into, and then have opted to not really navigate around the restrictions that the trade has created, whether it's the lack of lineup flexibility, whether it's his propensity to strike out more and not really be as productive as he once was, um, no, no uh, ability to inherit more money on the payroll because he, you already have three $300 million contracts now. So yeah, I mean, I, 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 I am souring on John Carlos Stanton as a player. I, I go in phases of doing this. I was really optimistic last year on the first half because I thought he had finally shut me up. Um, and now I keep going back and reading my old article about why the John Carlos Stanton trade should cost Brian Cashman his job. And I'm like, Holy shit, you were right. Like two, two and a half years ago. You weren't that fucking crazy when everyone was calling you an asshole. Now you look at it, and I don't know a fan outside of, you know, they, he, Stanton has a lot of Glaber Torres-esque fans where it's like, you can't say a bad word about Stanton. How dare you? And it's like, okay, cool, but why? Yeah, You have, the, you have that group of people, but for the most part, I think Yankee fans are beyond frustrated with his play. And it's, it, 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 I think it's way past the boiling point because we just continue to have these conversations just at different junctures. And Stanton is actually a little bit lucky that, so many other people look, you know, even worse than him somehow, somehow yeah, that's the case. But yeah, I think he's the beneficiary of that. And then people obviously know who the real culprit is, Brian Cashman with the roster construction. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping I, I, my hope is that Rizzo bounces back because he's the most promising hitter out of all of them, you know, from a career lens consistently and like toolsy wise, he can hit for average. He gets on base and he hits homers. None of the other guys really do that. Yeah, I think Riz is probably the safe answer. I think I'm just happy that Stanton did the thing that he is known for doing once <laughs> on Saturday. Like it's nice. I, I you, you get to the point the last couple of weeks where you're like, I may just never see that again. Like, I <laughs> guess he just doesn't do that anymore. And that's uh, not going to help anybody. You, that's not going to be good for business. That's not going to be good for anyone. 
so good for Giancarlo Stanton. Would love to see that 2020 uh, and 2019 playoff form back in action. But, yeah, more likely than not, not going to happen. Um, Yankees draft is going on at this moment. They took a shortstop again last night, George Lombard Jr. Uh, a lot of people are angry because it's another shortstop, and I get it. I know why you're mad, because uh, we got a lot of those. But the easiest thing to draft is a shortstop, uh, because a shortstop basically just means athletic teenager. Shortstop nice. could be anything. You could be a center field. Fernando Tatis Jr. just did it last year when he was already in the major leagues. Uh, Trey Sweeney is probably going to be wedded to the infield as long as he's here. Mm-hmm. Roderick Arias, we've yet to learn what he is, although a scout said he felt like Francisco Lindor over the weekend, so that's pretty cool. Uh, we'll have to wait to be disappointed by him, learning he's not clutch whenever he makes the major leagues five years from now. Um, but drafting George Lombard Jr. this year does not mean that they drafted a shortstop. They're also never going to draft for need. Positional need now has nothing to do with what they need. No. Three or four years down the line. Uh, impressive player by all accounts. And I think mostly just shocking because we all thought they were going to take Sammy Stafura because everybody said they were going to take Sammy Stafura. So, like, you know... Like I just, we were just all prepared. We just, it, it looked like there was one name on the docket for them to potentially draft, and they went and drafted somebody else. And he goes to Cincinnati, so we're gonna have to follow him for a while. Uh, I'm glad they didn't just go with the uh, orthodox pick in their backyard. The Red Sox got a steal fall to them. Kyle Teal uh, supposed to go top ten. The Royals were supposed to take him because they need a catcher. They took a different catcher. The Red Sox were like, "Thank you." The Orioles yeah. take Enrique Bradfield at 17, an outfielder who is supposed to go. Probably 12, 13. They get a really good ball player. Uh, the Jays take a shortstop who was supposed to go higher than that. So the Yankees not just being wedded to this like, eh, a month ago we were connected to this local kid, so we might as well just take him. They shake things up. They take Lombard Jr. His father is the uh, uh, Tigers bench coach mm. at this moment. Uh, according to Eric Cole, our uh, fan-sided prospect writer, he's got a tantalizing combination of a feel for hitting as well as raw power for a high school prospect. Swings and misses a little, should add strength that he gets into pro ball and has shown the ability to make adjustments at the plate. Baseball America has him at 31. MLB Pipeline has him at 31 in their top draft prospects. And Keith Law, who hates the Yankees, has him at 34. That means the Yankees taking him at 26. Pretty appropriate as long as they think they can sign him. Uh, not what I was expecting. Thought we were going to be talking about a different guy, but big name prospect and exciting to have in the system. Yeah, I don't, I don't care who they draft. Sorry, guys. Um, I, I just, it's it, the timeline is so far away, in my opinion. Baseball, more times than not, unless you're completely in the gutter, like the Orioles were a few years ago, or the Tigers have felt like they've eternally been, or the Pirates. Um, you just draft. You don't you don't you don't have to draft to like build the foundational skeleton of your team. Um, if you have formulas in place at the big league level to be able to be competitive without having to rely on the draft, then you're just selecting players at this point out of luxury. Um, and it works for a multitude of ways because look, if you're an organization that's supposed to be good like the Yankees, you just want to draft more and more talented players because you know a prospects all don't pan out. Their development is not linear. So you're giving yourself more chances to hit on someone who's athletic. You know, they, they've been going a lot of middle infielders, I think, because those guys can typically transition easier than somebody else. Maybe the short, maybe you draft a high school shortstop who's super athletic, who eventually maybe has a future in center field or third base or whatever it may be. Um, and then secondly, I think the biggest point of all this is you continue to build depth at a very important position because you know at some point 
you're going to have to make trades and you're going to have to make your team better. And you're going to have to keep that championship window open. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is trading talented players who you've cultivated and drafted and signed on the international market. And you have a glut of them. So it doesn't hurt when you trade them and you're not completely, you know, you're not, um, you're not completely uh, devoid of talent when you have to unload a good portion of the farm for, you know, look at the Dodgers unloading number prospects, number one and two for two of the best players in baseball two years ago in Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, still fine. Still a top five farm system in the game. Most, most other organizations who trade prospects, number one and two are in the gutter for the next five years. So um, smart organizations stack talent. Doesn't matter where the position is and they make sure to utilize it properly. Um, I like the athletic mold that I guess the Yankees are at least trying to deviate to at this point because they've had a lot, a lot of non-athletic players over the last uh, however many no. years. No. <laughs> and it's been discouraging to watch, and I think at this point they've probably watched that product long enough and they know that this is not the answer. So now they're mixing in a Spencer Jones guy who's super athletic but also is a giant and people are concerned about his potential injury history, as is the case with – Aaron Judge, as is the case with John Carlos Stanton, and then you mix in these other guys like Roderick Arias, Trey Sweeney, now George Lombard, Anthony Volpe a couple of years ago, and it helps you get a good mix. So um, I'll read the draft coverage when it's done. I don't follow prospects like that, but at least if they are putting, if they're drafting the right talent, putting them in the right places, and can use them for something down the road, whether it's competent major league at bats or trading somebody in a package and not having it kill your overall farm system talent, then I'm on board with it. I'm not going to complain about, you know, what the fifth shortstop in no. however many years, seven years. Is that it? Five and seven. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of shortstops. Um, I mean, yeah, you sign as many as you can. They're athletic. They're more athletic than other positions. Um, so if you can grab them, go grab them. I'm just frustrated that people let the Red Sox get Kyle Teal again. Um, Marcelo Meyer was the best player in the 2021 draft and, the three teams ahead of the Red Sox just simply said, I don't want this man. I don't want the best player in the 2021 draft. And then they got him. And uh, Teal was the best catcher in this draft. Uh, there's questions about how much power he develops. Keith Law said he's like Jason Kendall. If he's like Jason Kendall, then I guess I don't need to be terrified of that. But he's the best catcher in the draft. Royals needed a catcher cool. at eight. He's a college player, so he's going to be cheaper than a high school player to sign. And the Royals go, no, nah, we're going to take somebody worse. And then picks <laughs> nine through 13 didn't need a catcher. And the fucking Red Sox go, uh yeah we'll take that catcher you should have gone 35 minutes ago thanks and, and they go ahead and do that um so Heim bloom seems to be a better drafter than he is a free agent piece mover but it's much easier when the rest of baseball just sort of lies down and goes we'll let you take this one we're just gonna let you do it uh you know no incentive on our end to let you do it but we just will uh so congrats to the red sox hopefully they use them as trade bait at some point hopefully the yankees are able to put together some sort of core in this draft by the end of it, it feels like everybody else is able to do that, and we're not. Um, second half outlook. How optimistic are you feeling? Not that optimistic. Uh, we're 49-42. We're one game back of the wild card. We're also only seven games out of Tampa in the loss column, eight games back in the regular column. Uh, the Red Sox are eight games back of the loss column of Tampa, nine in the regular column. Toronto, seven and six. Baltimore is tied with the Rays in the loss column. And just two games back in the division. For everybody who said the Rays couldn't be caught, they've already been caught by the Baltimore Orioles. It's the all-star break, and the Orioles have already caught them. So that's what happens when you go one and seven in your last eight before the break. 
and are only 23 and 20 on the road this season. The Rays are no great shakes. The Yankees also, though, quite bad. Gun to your head, it probably still feels more likely that something even worse happens, like the Red Sox go catch the Rays, than we do. But we are in it. I mean, this is what we've been saying for weeks, and we're somehow catching heat for it. Uh, it's not the worst scenario. Somehow the team is still alive in the most competitive division in the league, and whether you believe a seven-game deficit is insurmountable for this specific team, in the grand scheme of seven-game leads, it's very erasable. We watched this team almost shit away a 15-and-a-half game lead last year. They just did it. They just did it. You just watched it happen. Um, I think – Look, maybe if there was ever a time to bring in a new voice for the the hitting coach, it was now. Yeah. So here's the silver lining. You have a new voice for the hitting coach. It maybe lights a bit of a fire, helps the Yankees change their philosophy, because truly one tweak here changes the complexion of this entire lineup. There's If this team walks a little bit more, if this team hits a few more home runs, and this sounds crazy, but it's like – they're capable of doing all of these things. They're capable of hitting for better average. They're capable of working more walks. They're capable of hitting for more power. So if one of those things can be unlocked a little bit more than the others, then you're talking about you're talking about a couple extra wins a week, which is which is insane. You come out of the break, you got Rockies, not good. Angels spiraling, no Mike Trout. Royals might be worse than the A's. Like honestly, might be worse than the A's. Then you have Subway Series against the Mets, and you have two days off that week, so you're getting ample rest. Then you have a three-game set against the Orioles. Then you have three games against the Rays. And that Tuesday, the second game against the Rays is the trade deadline. If you come out of this trade deadline and you go, what, six and three in those first nine games? Yeah. You, go se- you can go seven and two in those games. That's really not that crazy. For how for how poor the Rockies and and the uh, Royals have been, and how bad especially the Angels have looked over the last two weeks, then at that point, you know you got to get a you got to get a better answer on Aaron Judge's situation before you start making big deadline moves. But yeah, yeah, I mean if you could pick up if you could if you could pick up a game a game on the Rays in that series uh, towards the end of the month. And the Rays are just playing mediocre baseball like they kind of have been after their hot start. Then it's not out of the question. Um, I am I optimistic? No. Um, this team has let us down. You know, you have a winnable series against the Cubs heading into the break, teed up for you before before uh, um, before you have a layoff here, and they blow it. So I don't know why it would it would be any different against the Rockies, Angels, and Royals, and then Mets. And the Mets have kind of come back to life too over the last couple weeks. So not really a team I'd want to face, but yeah, I think these first nine games will be very indicative of what the second half is going to look like. If they get the job done, then they buy themselves some more time. If they don't, I think at that point you're looking at, cause then, cause then you head into August and it's Houston, White Sox, Marlins, Braves, Red Sox. Crazy. That's that's not. And, and you're on the road for the White Sox. You're on the road for the Marlins and you're on the road for the Braves. Yeah. So you got to get the job done in the first two weeks of July. Uh, I'm sorry, in the first two weeks after the break to have any sort of confidence in this team. Um, and if not, then that's going to be that.
Also, I mean, did I give you the Red Sox schedule? Like, I'm, I'm again, I'm not saying they're the center of the baseball universe, but they're now a competitor for the Yankees playoff spot. And uh, they go and play the Cubs, who we just played out of the break. They go and play the A's in Oakland. I guess the A's are slightly tougher to play in Oakland, but not really. That'll be a sweep. Mm-hmm. Then they get the Mets for three in Boston. The Mets are the Mets. They're kind of interesting now. Two for the Braves, three at San Fran, three at Seattle. Uh, then the Blue Jays go back to Fenway, and the Blue Jays can't beat the Red Sox. They're 0-7 against them this year. Then, So starting August, it's the Jays for three, who are 0-7 against the Red Sox. The Royals go to Fenway for four, sweep. The Tigers go to Fenway for three. Tigers might steal one, probably a sweep. Red Sox go to Washington for three. Give the Nats one, I guess, maybe. And then they go to New York and play the Yankees. Uh, The Red Sox have the easiest August, or at least the easiest first 20 days of August ever. The Yankees have a very tough first 20 days of August. So no matter what you think about the Red Sox, they're now your competitor. The Blue Jays are your competitor. that's that's gonna be tough to it's gonna be tough to stand on there. You're gonna have to put some distance between yourself and those teams before August begins, with only about under three weeks left there, and the Yankees treading water and no Aaron Judge. It's gonna be tough, but if you can dream it, you can achieve it. Please, probably make, not. That make the most basic dreams come true and just take care of business against teams that are not good. Hit the all fields, Sean Casey style. We'll see what they have in store for us in the second half. We'll talk more about that and recap the all-star game on Thursday's episode when we will see you again right here, uh, 2 o'clock Eastern time, every Monday, every Thursday. That includes this Thursday. How helpful of us. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. If you want to leave a review, we love it. We welcome it. Please go ahead and drop that as long as it's five stars until next time i'm adam weiner you can find me on twitter at adam weiner thomas carinante where could somebody find you somebody that's somebody where are you i'm at tommy's underscore takes we are both at the official yanks go yard twitter account at yanks go yard fs um head on over to yanks we are burning through content baby you guys are on the site you're reading we are loving it uh shout out to everybody who was here today bronx muchachos podcast thanks for chiming in grace monroe Pleasure to meet you. I don't think I've seen you here before. Um, So thanks a lot, guys. We'll talk to you once again on Thursday, 2 p.m. Eastern live right here. Enjoy your all-star break and do a nice little Yankees detox. Yankees just made a big pick. Also feel like I got to let everybody know. Fourth round pick, second baseman, Rock Riggio out of Oklahoma State. People actually like him. College wood bat tested Cape Cod League. Uh, His name is Rock. His name is Rock Riggio. Not Craig Biggio, Rock Riggio and and he goes pick 129 you know who goes pick 128 to the Padres Homer Bush Jr. Wow that would have been kind of fun snipes by the pods anyway moving along see everybody on Thursday take care y'all what's so special about Hero Bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.